The Fanboy, episode 138. Hi, everybody. Mario Francisco Robles, MFR here with you. And I'm joined by now, for I think it's like the fourth time in a row, by the new permanent co-host of the Fanboy Podcast, Brett Miro. And this is episode 138. How you doing, Brett? I am great. The old Quattro Miro over here. The old, wow. All right. We're taking it there. We're very uh, exotic and cultural already. That's right. That's right. I have a good feeling about this. How's your week been? (laughs) It's, it's been pretty good. I'm, I'm very excited that uh, we're recording. It's a yep. night I look forward to, and that means tomorrow's Friday. So life is good. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is yeah. true. Yeah, I've had a pretty good week. I was at Atlantic City, did a lot of blackjack. Oh. I, did a, I did a bunch of winning, then a whole bunch of losing, and then some winning. So I ended up coming up pretty happy. Not right, as happy so you, as I you could. You came out a little, a little ahead? Or? A little ahead. A little, right, I could hey. have come back a lot more ahead. But that's always, you know, that, that's always the trick of it. You could have been down. So, I could have been go. down. I could have been <laughs> down. But um, all right. So are you ready to just kind of dive into some fanboy goodness this week? I am always ready. Let's get to it. All right. So we're going to start things off with the Superman on film update of the week. Are you ready for this one, folks? Today is February 25th, 2022. And tomorrow, February 26th. Will mark one year since there's been any real concrete news on a Superman movie. So uh, that's really, the news. That is the news. <laughs> the, the, news the news continues to be that there's no news. That's <laughs> the, 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 yeah. The, there's the, the drought continues, but what we can kind of do in lieu of of uh, dissecting some serious, you know, groundbreaking news about a Superman movie, we can talk about the ramifications of that Peacemaker cameo last week. Because in the days following that, it's funny, because when we talked about it, we were nothing but ecstatic. And it was just like, oh, cool. You know, they had some Justice League people show up at the end of Peacemaker, and there was a good joke, and we couldn't believe that they got Momoa and Ezra to do it. And, you know, it's all we, we were just over the moon. But apparently... Uh, things were a little bit divisive online. Did you, did you see any interesting takes, Brett? Uh, interesting. Uh, I mean, there were just the usual, like, you know, this is what the DC universe is now without Snyder. It's a big joke. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, really, just the reaching was unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't. It's, 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 it's an unfortunate thing that, to me, that was a clear just sort of almost like a victory lap. For the DCEU to kind of have this these Justice League characters that got their own movies and had been built up to this point. The fact that they're still being acknowledged in 2022 yeah. and that the fact that there's plans for them for the future. I feel like this is good news. You know, there's been so much uncertainty over the years about, you know, how things are going to go. Well, who's getting rebooted? What's getting recast? What stays? What goes? So, you know, I thought it was nothing but good news. But what was interesting is that. See, it didn't phase me at all that uh, Batman and Cyborg weren't there. I don't know. What, uh, did it phase you, by the way? Like when you saw it was just four of them instead of the whole team, did that like weird you out at all? Did it call your attention? 
at yeah, all. Yeah, I wouldn't say it weirded me out, but I noticed because I was like, okay, where's where's the other two? But then, yeah. like, you know, a quick, you know, two seconds of thought, and you go, well, they're still kind of figuring out the Batman thing. We have a new one coming out. We're yeah. going to be kind of sending Ben Affleck off. We know Keaton's coming in, but that hasn't officially happened yet yeah. because the movie hasn't released. So they don't want to jump the gun. And then obviously there's the Ray Fisher stuff with Cyborg, which I imagine they kind of probably want to just, you know, dance around a little longer. Yeah, because yeah, well, th- that's what I was getting at. Because, like, to me, it didn't phase me that they weren't there. I don't think of the Justice League as always having to show up en masse to every single mission. So again, that didn't phase me, but in the years, in the years, in the days following the release of that episode of Peacemaker, it was revealed that they had in fact hired stunt doubles to be Batman and Cyborg and that they had been filmed and that ultimately DC sort of nixed those cameos. They took them out only leaving the four that we saw. And, you know, that that's the, the fact that DC kind of, you know, took that editorial power and, and, and you know, told James Gunn, no, we're not going to let you use these two. I feel like you know, there are definitely some implications about that. And, and you know, you kind of touched on it. But with the Ray Fisher thing, we got to remember there was a time when the, there was going to be Cyborg in this Flash movie. All right. First, there was going to be a whole different Flash movie directed by Rick Famuyiwa that was going to have a lot of cyborg in it. But then even when Andy Muschietti took over, now with a new script and a new story and a new direction, they had still kept a place in it for him until he got into this big clash with the studio. And, you know, he he's still out there seeking apologies for things. I have a whole episode sort of breaking down the ins and outs of the accusations, as well as the responses to that. If you go back a few episodes of this show, you can find that. But essentially, remember, he drew a line in the sand with Walter Hamada, where he said, I will not be in any DC production that has Walter Hamada as, you know, as a producer on it. And they, you know, they, they were not going to fire Hamada. So he essentially fired himself by saying that Fisher essentially, you know, fired himself so him being eliminated i guess was sort of obvious but the one that wasn't so obvious for some folks was batman because we know that batfleck is going to show up in the flash and we know that that's going to be one of the cool novelties that in the flash we're going to see this barry with that bruce you know kind of building on what we've seen you know what we saw in both versions of justice league um but that ultimately Affleck is going to be sort of written out and replaced by OG Michael Keaton, Batman, Bruce Wayne instead. So what I think like, yeah, that's a cool shirt. That's a cool (laughs) shirt. Um, But yeah, so since they're getting rid of him, but he's still going to be in the flash. Some people are like, well, it doesn't make any sense. He should be there. Peacemaker takes place before the flash is going to reset things. Continuity, continuity. And listen, you may be right. You know what? In the timeline, in the canon, he is still very much part of the team. But what you have to remember is that for the folks running DC on film right now, he is no longer the guy. They are preparing to have a new face be Batman or two new faces be Batman. You know, this Peacemaker thing came out a week ago and the Batman comes out in two weeks. We're about to meet the Robert Pattinson Batman for Stark. 
in a week, March it's 5th. Next week, it's a week from the in release of this podcast, March 4th. Wow. Actually, yeah, yeah. I can't believe. Yeah, honestly, I've been talking about this Batman movie so many years. I'm like in denial that All we're that delays close to and everything. Yeah, yeah. It was going to come out in July, in June of last year. At some point, it's it's been yeah. a trip. But um, yeah. So so okay. So not only are we about to meet a whole new Batman that they want to get into the public consciousness as this is our like mainline Batman. But they're going to be shifting the focus in these DCEU sort of, you know, crossover type movies to make Michael Keaton the main, the Batman in that world. So to me, it's like they're trying to get us less detached to the Batfleck Batman, for better or worse, since they know that he's getting transitioned out. I feel like the reason that they cut him out of Peacemaker, that they said, we don't want that version of Batman represented here anymore. I think it's really just because they want us to begin to detach from that iteration of the character. And you know, I know we've discussed this a lot over the years on the Revengers and elsewhere, but right now in 2022, um, how, how does it feel to know you're going to officially say goodbye to that Batman or did you already do that years ago in your mind or uh you know do you have any feelings about that yeah I mean I'm happy that we're getting kind of like a little farewell for him mm -hmm. but uh mm -hmm. you know at this point listen the, the news has been out there for a long time that he was done with the role um I was more shocked I think that he was doing a, like one more cameo yeah. appearance yeah. uh than I was that he was done with the role <laughs> I think I was more shocked with that so yeah so for me I mean I mentally kind of moved on but I did like his Batman enjoy his Batman I will be always probably a little bit sad that I, we didn't yeah. get to see like a real solo you know film with him but uh, for the most part, I'm happy to be able to see him in the flash and, and give him his little farewell. And hopefully they, they do a, a nice job with that. Yeah. To me, that's kind of like the coolest silver lining in all of this. Like I, I had already made my piece years ago that we were done with Ben Affleck as Batman, that we weren't going to see his version of the Batman come to fruition. But the fact that he agreed to come back for this flash and we are going to get an actual sort of like send off for him. I'm just, I'm glad about that. It, it would have sucked to just have another, you know, superhero just disappear. Like I, I think about like how I wanted Brandon Ralph to come back as Superman and right. that ended. Right. I think about Andrew Garfield's run as Spider-Man just suddenly ended before, you know, and Ben Affleck was about to go on that list. I mean, and in, in a certain way he will go on it cause he didn't get his right. own solo movies, but the fact that he will get his send off and we're going to know this is the end and it's not just going to be part of some weird limbo. And then he, we just never see it again. I'm happy about that. Right. But you know, but ultimately I think that's the reason they did it. You know, I, I really feel like the only reason that Jim Lee and DC and all those people would go to James Gunn and say, we don't want him in there is because on some level they don't, they want people to kind of start forgetting about him, you know? And that's, um, and that's really interesting kind of as like a segue into our next piece, because the, you know, listen, I, could they have had this like a silhouetted Batman and a silhouetted cyborg? So we didn't have to see Ben Affleck or Ray yeah. Fisher. Yeah, they could have done that. But like we said, they probably removed them just to avoid confusion, probably avoid all the discourse online. But then it even makes it even more interesting that, that. they left a silhouetted Superman in there. Because and if they didn't want that discourse. They might have kept him out too, you know? Exactly. And it's, it wasn't just any Superman. Because here's the thing, you know, you could keep the silhouettes pretty vague. 
You know, not all not all Supermans have the same type of cape or the same way that their head is shaped. Right. Like this silhouette was clearly meant to evoke Henry Cavill Superman. And yeah. if it's true, those crazy rumors we heard about the Flash that no, 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 he's getting completely replaced and Supergirl is going to be the new Superman in the Justice League. Then why wouldn't they just say, yeah, we don't want you to include Superman either. You know what I mean? Because right. that cameo would have worked with or without him. Honestly, even if it was just two of the Justice Leaguers, even if it was just Jason Momoa and Ezra Miller, that cameo would have everyone's you know losing their minds. So the fact that like they included the Gal Gadot Wonder Woman silhouette and the Superman, the Henry Cavill Superman silhouette, to me, that gives a brother hope. You know, and us yeah. Superman people know a little something about hope. So I just, it's funny that because like. I it, it didn't even I didn't even think I didn't think that deeply on it last week. So on last week's show, I didn't even think about bringing that up. But in the days following, to realize that like, oh no, they actually cut people based on right. where they know DC's going in the future. They're like, it doesn't make sense to emphasize Cyborg and that Batman, but we want to. You know, we'll let you show this Superman. I don't know. I think there's something to it. Do you think I'm reaching, Brett? Or do you think? That that could mean something. No, I think it could mean something. Like like, like yeah, really, the the fact again, the fact that they left out two of them, it mean it makes the people they left in even more yes. important. None of that's uh, by accident. Yeah, you know, like it would have been if they if they had done the silhouettes with super, uh, super uh, sorry, cyborg and Batman, then I think you know maybe it's this true. would be a reach. But yeah, it, it it says something. So hey, I'm gonna keep holding out hope, and everyone else, yes. you know, why not? Why not? <laughs> Why not? So, um, but now I, in general, speaking of feeling hopeful and thinking about DC and all that, you know, DC's suddenly coming in real hot, Brett. And it's funny to me because it's been a bit of an up and down roller coaster following the DCEU over these years. I've been writing about this stuff since 2014 an <laughs> and, yeah, and podcasting about this for years. I've been following the trials and tribulations and suffering the slings and arrows of outrageous franchise management for a very long time. But specifically, too, like if you look at these last few years, you know, in the post Zack Snyder DCEU, you know, started out hot with Aquaman coming in at a billion bucks and suddenly everyone really loves Jason Momoa and there's a sequel coming and all that. Right. But then Shazam came out a few months later and you know, it was a good movie, but mm -hmm. it didn't like set the box office on fire. You know, going from a billion dollar movie to like, I think it was like a somewhere in the three or $400 million uh, range. Yeah. That's a bit of a drop, you know? And then there was Joker, which wasn't really connected at all to anything. But there was Birds of Prey, which vastly underperformed at the box office. And then there was the Suicide Squad last year, which, you know, some people blame the HBO Max uh, simultaneous release. Some people blame piracy. But in general, at some point, the Suicide Squad was, you know, projected to open pretty high, and it ended up opening to only like $26.5 million domestically. So DC has kind of been in need of a hit, if you ask me. Because, you know, yes, Joker sure. did great, but that exists in sort of a vacuum. You know what I mean? Sure. So to me, DC's sort of been in like this weird limbo, and when are they going to come out roaring? 
And you know what? It looks like this is the year. You know, now that the Batman is actually coming out next week, it's starting to kind of really hit me that we've got the Batman, we've got the Flash, we've got Black Adam, and we've got Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom all coming out in the same calendar year. And if you ask me, each one of those movies can do insane numbers. Yeah. Those are each, you know, especially you know, Aquaman coming off of the success of the previous Aquaman for sure. Black Adam with Dwayne Johnson and all the intrigue around where that's going to go. And that looks like it's going to be a big, you know, a holiday epic. And then the Flash, obviously, I just feel like there's a real opportunity here for DC after a couple years of things seeming kind of rocky and things being a little bit quiet. 2022 could be like an insane year. Like imagine they, they imagine they have like they pull off four billion dollar movies. To steal you know? to steal a term from the comics, it is yeah. it is a DC rebirth. It, it, it is right, yeah. It's the rebirth. This is the year of the rebirth, and uh, I as a DC fan am very very excited. Yeah, like um, you know, really truly together. truly excited. Um, not as much trepidation as I've had in the past. I've always been excited. I'm excited to see any of my heroes on screen, but yeah. Now I really feel good about it. Yeah. And, and then here's the thing, you know, what's going to get the, the the ball rolling and what's going to determine or at least give us our first real sign of what this year is going to be like for DC on film is the Batman. And the, the projections for that right now are very, very optimistic. You know, Box Office Pro and other box office analysts are projecting that the film could open to like ha have a, the biggest opening of any Batman movie, any solo Batman movie. And right now they're saying it could open anywhere from 135 to 185 million bucks. And you know, that that's that's insane money during the, the during these pandemic times. Like, you know, Uncharted was the big story last weekend, yeah. and it opens up 44 million. You know? Right. So if Batman in a week comes out swinging with like three or four times that, I mean that that I don't know. I'm gonna be a little surprised. I don't There's, know. I, I go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, there's, there's no, like, surprise here that, like, box office numbers have been significantly lower than yeah. they used to be pre-pandemic. But mm -hmm. we also saw with Spider-Man No Way Home that if yes. there's something out there with a lot of hype that's really good and it's got good buzz, people are willing to go out and see the movie. That movie grossed over a billion dollars. I think it's it, – did it beat Avatar again? It's another yeah. Avatar beater? Yeah. I so, think, I mean – Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I think it did. So, we're at that point now. And now, at this point – I think you know, domestically from, specifically. Domestically, yeah. yeah. Maybe not internationally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But next week when Batman opens, we're also going to be in a spot – where at least in the U.S., um, we probably have the most lax COVID restrictions that we've had in the mm. last two years. Yeah, uh, things are really. I think there's another report too, like the CDC in like a, a couple of days or a week is going to start um, uh, lowering the restrictions on indoor gatherings and masks and stuff like that. So yeah. at this point, you know, with the buzz and with the fact that hopefully it is a little safer out there, hopefully <laughs> we're feeling a little safer out there. Yeah, yeah, this this movie really has potential to do big numbers. Um, and I think there is already some like early, there haven't been like full reviews yet, but there's been some early buzz for press that have started to see stuff. I've been allowed to say, them, yeah. yeah, very minimal things, but, uh, it, it seems to be positive generally. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't wait. Yeah. I mean, I'm cautiously optimistic. I want it to come out yeah. and crush it. I think, you know, after all the years of, of leading up to this movie, I mean, I've been talking about the Batman since I was with Latino Review when like there, we, we had a scoop about it 
in like the fall of 2014, back when Ben Affleck was making a movie right. called The Batman. So here we go. Eight years later, we're finally freaking getting it. But, you know, I don't even know where I was going to go with that. But my, <laughs> when I think about The Batman like and, and all the anticipation, I just hope that this thing crushes it. But yeah. I would be lying if I didn't say I have some concerns. You know, because honestly, for me, like, I know that this movie plays well to us, the hardcores, the geeks, the fanboys, the ones who are like, you know, we've been dying to have Batman say, I am vengeance. You know, the ones who geek out for all this sort of stuff. But a part of me wonders if the normies, if the casuals are as excited as we are. Because, you know, I, I have my own like little barometer. You know, I, 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 sometimes I speak to my wife about these things because, you know, she, she watches superhero movies and she has somewhat of a, a good amount of caring for all this stuff. But when it comes to the Batman, when I've shown her trailers for it, she's left a little, mm, she's left a little like this looks like the Christopher Nolan ones, but even darker. And she's kind of like, eh, I'm kind of over Batman. And it makes me wonder, like, you know, and this is someone who she or she likes going to go see these kinds of movies. And I've shown her all three trailers for this, thinking this is going to be the one that sells her. And she's like, meh. So a part of me wonders, and I've spoken to some other people who aren't like hardcore nerds. And they're like, yeah, there's another Batman movie. Hmm, I don't know. You know, I, I just wonder if, the, if, if there's going to be a surprise in the box office in that this movie at being like three hours long, very sort of dark in its appeal and in its tone and all the uh, the way it's being promoted. And the fact that it's another Batman, you know, we just had Ben Affleck. And then for some people, it still feels like Bale was just recently Batman. You're like, here we go again. You know, there might be some burnout. There might be some like just, I don't know. I have a feeling, well, not a feeling. I just have a worry that the casual audience is not going to be as into this as the rest of us are. Well, some of these casual people that you've spoken to, uh, like your wife, like your friends, yeah. how are they generally when, uh, you know, I don't like to make this a DC versus Marvel thing, yeah. but it's the most apt comparison. It just is. Um, how are they generally reacting to like Marvel trailers that are coming out, uh, you know, being more casual? Are they usually a little more on the positive side with that? Cause See, it is an interesting thing. Like, is it just that the Marvel the perception are just, yeah, the perception are Marvel movies just more enticing to casual audience members than DC? Like, you know, do, do yeah. you think there's anything to that? Is it just the way the movies are made? Is it just the characters in general? Well, is honestly, you know, is see, I, the Batman is kind of a, is in a unique position actually. Now, now that I think of it, because remember the big thing about the DCEU's negative perception through like 2013 through like 17 was that it was so grim dark you know people a lot of people balked at the end you know how man of steel went there was a big backlash and a divisive reaction to batman versus superman there was a big negative backlash about suicide squad so there was this and there was even jokes it would get referenced in lego batman movies and teen titans go like it became like a thing you just acknowledge in deadpool <laughs> 2 there was a joke about you know dc being grimdark essentially mm -hmm. so you know dc suddenly worked to like we need to counteract that and and and, and put forth a face of like optimism and heroism and all that yeah they, they started kind of rebranding trying to change the perception 
that DC is this dark, grim, dark thing. And now you got Matt Reeves coming out with the Batman by way of seven. You know, so it, it's like it's a weird fit when you know, when when we were apparently trying to get away from that. And, and, and there was a feeling that the audience was tired of that. But here's the darkest Batman movie that you've, you've ever seen. You know, right. so that's why I'm like, will that backfire or you not? Know, I, I just I have yeah. questions. <laughs> it's, it's funny just because I feel like also people always say they're sick of the Marvel movies. They're sick of the yeah. formula. They're sick of, you know, the how jokey they are. They're yeah. sick of, you know, how they undercut any drama or attention with jokes all the time. Like that's an anecdote that you see all the time on the Internet. Um, you know, the, the greatest cesspool on Earth. So it's <laughs> it's just. It's, it's very curious, like, how that response is. Because, like, you know, like you said, we've seen a lot of Batmans. We just had Christian Bale. We just had Ben Affleck. Yeah. But, you know, really, with the stretch of Marvel movies we have, too, I mean, you, we've had how many multiple Iron Man movies or and movies that he appeared in outside yeah. of that. So And that's in a shorter time span. And there's probably been as many appearances as Iron Man as there have been total Batman movies stretching all the <laughs> way back to Keaton, if you really yeah. think about it. Yeah. And we saw that in a very condensed period. And mm-hmm. now, you know, with Marvel moving forward, it seems like it is going to be just very mixed match multiple characters appearing in multiple different films and crossing over so it's really like the same thing we were just saying about batman and dc really is happening over there but why are they so successful almost every time you know aside from like the couple of stinkers the duds in there but i mean hey you know that's what happened dc versus marvel thing but there has to be that has to be said it has to be talked about you know yeah but but, but, well there's something to be said about what your brand means to the outsiders and Marvel over the years has been able to build up their brand as something that's highly watchable and entertaining. And you may not always, it's not going to change your life, but it's a good time at the movies. And then the more you go to them and the more you see, Oh, and this is connected to that. And this is leading to that. You know, it, it, I, I feel like the Marvel brand over the years, like the, just the Marvel brand puts people in the seats. Yeah. It almost doesn't matter who the hero is because they know, all right, I want to see the next chapter in this right. Marvel saga. You know what I mean? DC, unfortunately, can't just say this is DC and everyone flocks over. And it's right. because of how hit or miss things have been. Marvel, like, yeah, they've done that. They've had a couple of complete turds by my standards but that's out of like 24 movies by and large things have been at least pretty good you know what i mean the critical reception is really like the biggest factor here um yeah you know just much more positive critical reception uh on the marvel side than we have had on the dc side so that seems to be making everyone is that what just is making everyone's minds up you know i don't know yeah but but also i think it's you know the way they've cracked these stories the way that they've tried to appeal to like real mass audiences whereas some of the dc stuff in the last 8 years seem to be catering towards a more grown up audience and all that you know marvel was going for families it's kind of like nintendo versus what xbox was doing you know what i mean right. so marvel's been targeting the broad spectrum so this spectrum where you know you have kids at, all the way up to their grandparents to can go see captain marvel together but right. the same couldn't have been said about bvs or suicide squad or you know i mean so it's like I think it has to do with what the brands have become over the years. And for better or worse, the DC brand on its own, I don't think puts asses in seats. And it's because Marvel has built up just this steady 
all these little notching all these little wins in a row has given them this perception of I don't know if it's going to be great, but it's a Marvel movie. I'll check it out. You know, people are just they're into it. You know, it's going to connect to something that I like in the future. Yeah, like is it like you know? I wonder if like that factor too. Like you know, obviously DC, we do have like a shared universe now, but it hasn't had you know the, the amount of time or amount of films that Marvel has yet. And I wonder if yeah, it is just that people just want to be in the know on everything now with Marvel. So like they will literally just watch anything just because they know it's going to connect or have an Easter egg to something else. And that yeah. might just put butts in seats. Oh, I'll just see it. I've seen all the other ones. Whereas, yeah. you know, this like, eh, I can miss this Batman film. I can catch it in uh, HBO max. Listen, I've talked to some people too. Uh, a lot of people, my friends, you know, again, more casual, but they're, they're going to wait the 45 days and then watch it on HBO max. Oh, see what I mean? The yeah. See, that's, that's the thing. thing I, wonder if, so like, I wonder that the streaming's definitely listen, the streaming no doubt hurt Suicide Squad. Yeah. I mean, get a hundred percent. That movie was great. It had great critical critical reception. Um, you know, a hundred percent it was just that everyone watched it on HBO Max, it was right there. Yeah. Uh, you know, listen, uh, same with the Matrix. You know what I mean? You know, not even on mm-hmm. DC, but listen, people did not go see that in theaters, they watched it on HBO Max. I mean, that one was a little different because I think the critical reception was very, very mixed on it. So yeah, uh, it's it just, but it's, it's interesting. And, um, yeah, I think Warner's kind of shooting themselves in the foot a little bit. Well, you know, it's hard to say, are they shooting themselves in the foot? Yeah. They don't get the flashy numbers at the box office to say, but I'm sure it's pulling in great views and, and numbers on the streaming service and getting subscriptions. And that's yeah. probably, that's their real end game because I'm collecting money from you every month, not just the one time you go to the movies this year. Yeah. So, it's it's it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's relative to argue like you know yeah it's a good business model for like the stock investors and all that sort of stuff the people who run HBO Max and Warner Media and all that sort of stuff, but it means that these box offices are going to be these box offices are going to be a little gimped pretty much moving sure. forward, um, and again and and, and if we're going to compare, I, I think it's an unfair comparison, but Spider Man No Way Home right now is still in theaters, it's still doing great. It opened to like $260 million worldwide. And you could argue that in the grand scheme of things, Spider-Man and Batman are right up there together in terms of public perception, in terms of fandom, in terms of, you know, just, you know, a lot of people know that bat symbol, just like a lot of people know that Spider-Man symbol, you know, it's Mm -hmm. an international thing. So I feel that there is a way to combine the two without it being crazy or, or compare the two. And what I think is interesting is, that you know, Spider-Man No Way Home had the benefit of the entire Marvel, you know, cinematic universe leading to it, creating this environment where everyone wanted to see what happens next in this Spider-Man saga, right? With this Batman movie, since they're starting from scratch and things have been sort of checkered, I don't expect it to have like this insane embrace at the theaters the way Spider-Man did. And I just think that says a lot for where the two brands respectively are right now, you know, but, um, but okay. So, you know, we're going to see what happens. We're going to see what happens. I, again, I want the Batman to open huge. I want to be proven that all of these risks and all of the changes with this Batman movie over the years have led to, we got this amazing Matt Reeves Batman movie. So we'll see what happens. But before we leave the DC zone, I just wanted to ask you, um, because James Gunn is apparently, once he's done with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, he's actually going to swing back over to the world of DC, where he's not 
only going to be writing and directing a season two of Peacemaker, but he's supposedly also helping to produce a second spinoff from his The Suicide Squad movie. So I'm just curious, like they haven't announced that it's all being kept very under wraps. He says they've been working real hard, but they can't reveal mm -hmm. anything yet. You know, you saw The Suicide Squad. Is there another one of the characters in that series who you would like to see him tackle next? So the one thing he did say so far is that yeah. it will be less of a comedy than Peacemaker. Mm. So there's a hint for you right there. Yeah. Um, I forgot who all survived <laughs> that movie. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, the front runner, a lot of people are saying that it's going to be Ratcatcher 2. And maybe you could do a little more of, like, an emotional, serious story with her character. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, Idris Elba's been floated around just because you can maybe do something a little more serious with him. Mm -hmm. But um, for me, like, I would rather see, like, well, this doesn't really work if he's going to go more serious. But I, I would have liked to have seen, like, a Polka Dot Man spinoff because <laughs> I really enjoyed his character. Yeah. Or I, I actually, like, would like King Shark. But they're a little more on the comedic mm. side. So yeah. it's tough. The only other thing I could think of which could be interesting with the fallout from the end of Peacemaker season one is that they do something like focused on Amanda Waller and uh, Argus or whatever, or like, you mm. know, and do something with that. Cause now she's been, you know, well, spoilers for Peacemaker. I think we talked about it last week anyway, but the, she's been exposed. Task force X has been exposed in the DCEU at this point. So yeah. chances are that either going to get shut down or they're going to have to move even more underground or something. I don't, I don't imagine that they're going to like completely abandon that because it's too cool of a concept and they didn't get to play with it enough. But um, I think that could be a really cool. I mean, they, listen, they got Viola Davis to show up for Peacemaker. You know, a couple yeah. of small little cameo like scenes. Like she probably wasn't, she wasn't even with the cast or anything. But you know, maybe they they could do something like that, and that could be really neat. And maybe like we could get a couple of intros of some other like minor DC characters. James Gunn loves doing that. He loves pulling these characters. I know. You know, from obviously Peacemaker alone is like this weird character from the back catalog who yeah. just, you know, just killed it with it and made an amazing, enticing character that I want to see more of. So that could be a really cool thing is like Amanda Waller building a new Task Force X with a bunch of D-list superheroes and, you know, maybe get the inner workings of that. So Yeah, I'd be down for that. It's funny. Like, I could go any number of ways in terms of what I'd like to see because I, I, I think it'd be interesting to do more with Idris Elba's character, but I also think the rat catcher thing is interesting because... There's an emotional story that could be told there and definitely would be more serious in tone. But I guess the funny thing is, I, I and I could see a polka dot man or any of that, but because of the how great Peacemaker was and how surprised by it I was, I don't care who it is. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I'm going to oh, check yeah. this out no matter what now, because like, I swear, when I heard about Peacemaker originally, it was a big sort of like eye roll for me. I, I honestly, I'm never going to watch this. When I heard about it, I'm like, oh, that's cool. He's spinning off this weird character from the Suicide Squad. Fine. And then it ended up being one of my like favorite series of the year. And it's, yeah. you know, it's an awesome show. So I don't care which one he picks. I'm down to check it out. And it, what's notable, though, is he won't be as hands-on on this one. The early reports are is that while Peacemaker is going to be his, you know, he's going to be there every day on set making peacemaker it sounds like he's developing this one but essentially handing it off to like another sure. director or another team so that's going to be interesting too not only which character he picks but who gets chosen to sort of shepherd that project and how that'll make it different and all that sort of stuff too so yeah i, I don't know if i have like a particular guess i feel like 
I would like to see a little more from Idris Elba's character. You know, he was bloodshot, right? Bloodsport. Bloodsport. There we go. Bloodsport, Deadshot. Deadshot. Yeah. I, I get them all. <laughs> yeah. But um, but okay, so now we're gonna pivot a, a, away from the realm of DC and we're gonna go right towards where my former play at loudcast host here. Uh, feels his most comfortable discussing video games. And sure. in this particular case, the crossover between video games and movies or storytelling and what, you know, what some people are saying about the future of storytelling. Why don't yes. you tell them? So um, they uh, recently there was like uh, this uh, dice summit. It's like a game developers kind of conference thing that happens every year. It's more like an industry insider thing. But uh, this year, uh, Joe Russo, one of the directors of, uh, you know, some of those Marvel movies you may have heard of, <laughs> Winter Soldier, The Avengers, all that stuff. Uh, well, the, not not The Avengers, but the, the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> Infinity War and Endgame, the really good ones. Um, so anyway, he was at, uh, you know, at the event having a conversation. And basically, in a nutshell, he just said that video games are really going to be what dominates storytelling moving forward. That's where the technology is. Uh, they are going to be the industry that is going to really push us into the, you know, uh, metaverse. Uh, <laughs> um, not really uh, like Facebook um, or yeah. these other tech companies. Like that. That's what it's going to be in gaming. And you know, I just thought that was an interesting concept. Mm -hmm. um, mainly, what I just wanted to bring up was that. One of the things that gaming, well, gaming is, if you haven't been playing games or keeping up with them, they're basically movies now. Really long movies with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of gameplay, a lot of story, a lot of different, you know, uh, plot points. But there literally are like Hollywood writers and TV writers oh, yeah. uh, on these games now. At this point, the voice actors, a lot of them are actually doing facial or motion capture. Um, and most of these studios now have these like big 3D, 360 motion capture studios that they're working with. So it really is like shooting a film at this point. Some of these game directors are basically like doing films. And, and you know, with some of these new adapt uh, adaptions coming out of video games uh, to film or television, like The Last of Us, that's going to be coming out next year. Um, you know, Neil Druckmann, he was the uh, creative director behind The Last of Us. He is actually writing and I think assisting with you know, the development of the TV show now. So like there's a huge crossover happening. Um, so much to the fact, if I'm not mistaken, I think um, even like John Favreau and like some of the Star Wars guys have used like Unreal Engine, which is a game development engine. Mm -hmm. And they've used that for actually doing the volume on the Mandalorian yeah. and Boba Fett and getting those shots. So uh, he, he, you know, directs in virtual reality at this point in a 360 degree 3D landscape. So that's where we're at with the technology. And, with games now, the interesting thing that games do that film does not is it's an interactive medium. You're, you know, with film, you're it's passive. You're watching, you're experiencing it. But with games, you have to account for all these different storytelling variations. You know, a player might approach a situation differently or want to approach it differently than another player. And you have to account for all that. So these really crazy evolving narratives are, are really what's kind of pushing... I think storytelling forward, just period, like the, you know, choice and, and the ability to kind of like craft your story your way when playing yep. some of these big open world games. So, you know, I just wanted to talk about that just, you know, as an interesting concept, get a conversation going. I'd love to hear, you know, listeners thoughts and well, I've got thoughts or topics. I've got week. thoughts. And you know what? I'll hear from you too. <laughs> no, listen, I'm glad you like brought the metaverse into this because it's funny. Since 2020, my gaming habit has picked up a lot. And 
but it's kicked up in a very sort of specific way. I, I'm less interested in playing like linear story, linear games where I just have one main directive and I have to just get to the end of each level and then right. oh, I beat it. I love open world where I get to just sort of drop in and play the game at my speed, at my style, where the missions can be handled. How I get to kind of decide how I want to do things, and you know, it, 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 there's there's like a like a wish fulfillment sort of escapism to it for me. Like pretty much everything I play is open world, and it makes my gaming in the last year really fun because at any given night when I when I feel like doing something, first of all. I always want to play something rather than watch something. So that's just something I've noticed a lot in the last couple of years. If I could that pick is me between, too, yeah. yeah, like sometimes there's like a great episode of something on, or there's a movie everyone's talking about, but it's like, if I've got an hour or two to kill, I want to play something. Yeah. But specifically too, like all my stuff is open world. And it's a trip for me because I feel like I get to assume the role of all these different types of things. So like, I get to be like, let's see, do I want to be Spider-Man? Or do I want to be Batman? Or do I want to be a pirate? Or do I want to be a cowboy? Or do I want to be a criminal? And depending on what I'm in the mood for, I get to drop into this fully realized world as that type of character with all of their abilities and their lore and music that matches their thing and a plot line that has great voice acting and incredible dialogue and twists and turns. And it's like, like it's like you said, rather than passively watching a story unfold, I get to be part of the storytelling. I get to really truly fully immerse myself in that story in a way that a movie or tv show just can't so honestly like i i get where russo's coming from with that quote and it already is like just for me i i i can just speak from experience that like it's so much more appealing to me and i get so much more pulled into games lately than i do with movies so i think he's right i think yeah. there's something to that um, I think, you know, part of the fun thing too, just to like wrap up and, and what I think like where we're kind of almost in a way seeing, uh, the beginnings of this metaverse, you know, for, for better or for worse, I don't even know yeah. how I feel about it yet, but you know, in a lot of these games now too, like I said, you know, choices, there's, there's some of these games have morals now branching paths, different dialogue choices that affect the outcome of the game. You know, while me and you and I may play the same game. And maybe hit a lot of the big major story beats, you know, so mm -hmm. we do get to some kind of ending that is shared. Yeah. You know, what I love now is talking to my friends that were playing a game and maybe we both pay, played about 15 hours. So we're both like, you know, similarly at a certain, you know, level in the game. But then hearing like their adventure up to that point and like how they got to... to to area C and yeah. then, and it's like, well, the way I got to area C was completely different. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. there's this whole other narrative going on. That is like a meta narrative of, you know, okay, how did you get to this area? Oh, I went through the desert. Oh, you went over the mountains instead. Like, and having such a different experience and you know, whereas if we watch a movie, we're always going to have the same experience. The movie mm -hmm. is the movie. So yep. th this interactive medium is, is really something is something special. And that is really where, like what I think Joe Russo was saying, like that is where the, the evolution is coming in and, and the stories that you can tell there that you cannot tell anywhere else. Um, you know, storytelling is about to level up, you know, the hierarchy of power and storytelling is about to change. <laughs> if I, may I quote agree. The Rock. <laughs> wow. Yes. 
Yes. And can I just comment as a little bit of a tangent, but yeah, while we're talking about the games and the metaverse and the escape of it all, I think it's I think it's really cool that in 2020, when things were dodgy and we couldn't leave the house and we were all starting to feel like isolated and I need to like I have to see my bros. I got to do something. I feel whatever you and me and Rob and Jeremy and we would get online as our created characters in either GTA online or red dead redemption. And like, let's go be a band of, you know, gang of cowboys and go do some missions together and, you know, help me sell my moonshine. And we would talk and it felt like we were hanging out. We're all on headset. That in itself was its own story. Yeah. It wasn't a story that other people were going to experience, but like we had our own adventure. Yeah, and, and, and each of own story to tell. Yeah, it and happened you, organically. You know. It's yep, and you have Jeremy running off doing stupid things and getting himself killed. <laughs> you have Rob thinking he's a badass. We have you spending have you way lassoing too... me and pulling me off a horse and dragging me <laughs> you know? for no reason. You know, stuff like that. So yes, gaming is the future, everybody. Um, it is. In so many ways, but uh, all right. And now on on the continued topic of gaming, listener Tavo Borrego. Sent in a uh, a question, and he actually aimed it directly at you, Brett. So why don't you tell us the question yes. that Brett directed you? I would, which love... is actually already on the screen for those watching. It, it's actually, but it's actually but, on it. but if people are listening, so read the question, Brett. Yes. So uh, Tavo um, asked me if it is worth it to get the Nintendo Game Pass. Uh, mm. He's referring to Nintendo Switch Online, which is like the online membership. Um, and he also has mentioned that he will be getting the family plan. So it is a bit more expensive and he wants to know basically if it's worth it. So um, mileage may vary is kind of like the, the quick answer. Um, but basically a quick rundown. Uh I think it is going to depend what your interests are, what your you know needs and wants are out of this service. But I would like to compare it across you know the Xbox and Sony offerings and kind of look at it from that perspective. Because from financial perspective, Nintendo's Nintendo Switch Online um, is actually the most affordable uh, of all of the online services. It's actually only twenty dollars for the entire year for the base plan, so that gets you the ability to play online. Um, you know, with your friends and online games, Smash Brothers, Mario Kart, so on and so forth. And it also gives you access to um, a collection of Super Nintendo and regular Nintendo games that you can just kind of basically like just play at your leisure whenever you want. And they have some cool, you know, quality of life features like save states uh, to make them a little easier to play in the more modern age. Um, they did recently expand uh, to a higher tier, uh, the cutely named Nintendo Switch Online Plus Expansion Pack, which is a cute little nod to the expansion pack uh, add-on to the N64. And that actually gives you now access to Sega genesis and nintendo 64 games uh so it's like you have this cool like classic netflix library now so if you're really into retro games totally worth it um mario and i were discussing before we started recording we love to just sit down you have a little bit of time just hop into an old classic like super metroid link to the past Mm -hmm. uh majora's mask legend of zelda um secretly maybe one of the best 3d zeldas um just got released today on there uh banjo kazooie's on there um on the n64 sega gave all their good games so you know so on and so forth you can go online and check that out so if you if you like retro games it's definitely worth it, um, and, and and if you want the ability to play online. But when you do a um, kind of a value comparison, um, Xbox comes in actually, I think, as like one of the most expensive. If I'm not mistaken, you can only buy Xbox Live Gold, which is like their equivalent to Nintendo Switch Online, um, at a three-month clip now. And it's $25 mm-hmm. every three months, so it's about $100 a year. Mm-hmm. Granted, with that, you get online play, just like with the Nintendo, but... 
uh, while you don't uh, necessarily get access to all those great Nintendo classics because they're Nintendos, you do get access um, to uh, games with gold. So basically every month you get two free games, and they're usually modern games that have come out in the last couple of years. Sometimes Xbox is cool and you get a brand new game if they'll pay a company to like release it exclusively on their on their console. And PlayStation also does a similar thing. They are $60 a year, gives you online play, and you get PlayStation Plus games, which again is like two to three games every month uh, that are, you know, again, more recent games that, you know, have a, a higher value than you would say than some of these retro games. So from that perspective, the Nintendo... Uh, you know, offering looks a little a little lacking because it's like, okay, I'm getting all these old games, but I probably played them a million times or I bought them a million times on old Nintendo consoles <laughs> and they don't, you know, that's a whole other thing where they don't let you carry your purchases over, whereas the other consoles are a little bit better about that recently. So that's kind of like the, the cost comparison. Now, the only thing I would say in Nintendo's favor is, and I don't know if this is going to continue forever or be on a case-by-case basis, is that... Um, in order to kind of boost the value of the Nintendo Switch Online, they have been offering free downloadable content, which is really cool. So far, they've offered Animal Crossing downloadable content. Now, if you don't play that game, it doesn't really do anything for you, but that has a $25 sticker on it to buy it individually. So that's half the cost of the yearly the yearly plan. Um, what they did just recently announce is Mario Kart 8, which has been out for many years at this point, so it's kind of crazy they're getting downloadable content. But they're about to add 48 more tracks to that game, which is basically a whole nother game because the original game, I think, came out with 48 tracks. Uh, that is going to be $25 standalone, but if you have Nintendo Switch Online, which um, you know a lot, I think a lot of the people do, and most people have Mario Kart because that game, I think has an attach rate of like 40 to 50% of Nintendo Switch owners own that game. <laughs> so, And we're at over 100 million consoles at this point. So like 50 million people own Mario Kart. You're going to get that for free. So just between those two DLCs, it pays for itself. Um, if they're going to keep doing that, like I don't know if like DLC for the next Zelda is going to be included with that or you know uh, the next Mario or whatever other games they release. But you, know, you put that in and you go, okay, now there's some value added there. So that's my quick little spiel. Um, I think for the most part, they all are pretty on par. Nintendo Switch's online service is not the best when you're playing online. Supposedly, they just spent a lot of money to upgrade their servers, so hopefully that does get a little better. Um, so I can see where the frustration comes in there with Nintendo. They've been a little behind the curve on that. They haven't seen it as important, but that's kind of how it all lays out. So again, mileage may vary. It really just depends, I think, overall how much you care about the retro games. Because, yeah, without those, it is a little lacking compared to the other two services. So hopefully with that big rant, it made it made something. <laughs> it did something to you to help you make a decision. There you go. And for what it's worth, I have it, Davo. And I think it's worth it. Yeah. I, th- it, it it's, it's, I just love all the retro gaming and the features it does have. And for me, it's 50 bucks a year or something like that. And I'm good with that. I should you know? mention, I mean, the family plan is $80 uh, for the okay. year, but it gives you eight accounts on your Switch. So, all, you know, you, your wife, your kids, anyone else yeah. can, can have that. And listen, I talk to some people. I know some people that they get a buddy and they do the family plan and they share it together. And it cuts down the cost. They kind of do the money. So I know some people have kind of done that to get around things. I don't know, like, what it means, though, like, if you break your Switch and you need to recover games, like, that might become a mess. But that is a way you could possibly cut costs. Um... And I should also mention that with the retro games, 
they did make enhancements to a lot of the multiplayer ones. So you can actually play things like Star Fox 64 online with your friends now. I, you yes, I thought you needed to Super mention Mario that. World 2 player online with your friends now. So, uh, And I think they actually have a thing too where you can possibly like pass the controller off. So you could do like a single player game and then like give control over to you and then swap it back. I, I could be making that up, but I think they might have the ability to do that, do like a share play thing. Um, wow. If not, they should add that. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Uh, but do you agree that it is time to bring episode 138 of the Fanboy Podcast on home? I am in agreement. <laughs> yeah, listen. Next week, folks, we are going to get back to our weekly reviews of Superman on Superman and Lois. It's back from hiatus. This week, I was not able to see the uh, the return from hiatus episode in time to record. So Brett has uh, given me all kinds of crap for that. I, I will be it. certain. Not my fault. I, all right, all right. <laughs> Give the non-spoiler uh, impression. Was it a thumbs up? Thumbs in the middle, thumbs yeah, down? Yeah, thumbs up. I, I like this episode. It was good. It was All right. Good. And did it take some of the seeds that have been planted that we've discussed and kind of push them to the next level? Yeah, and it, it made okay. uh, things way more interesting this week, actually. For oh, sure. really? Um, really, really okay. cool. So I'm very I, – I love the show. I just love their depiction of, of Superman and Lois and, and everything about it. Um, also, I should mention, next week when we record the podcast, I will have seen The Batman. Ooh. I have tickets actually to see it next Wednesday um, at my local AMC. So I will be seeing it Wednesday, March 2nd. And when we record on the 3rd for release on the 4th, uh, hopefully I can give you some very light, spoiler-free just kind of impressions because I yeah. don't want to ruin that for anybody. But um, hopefully uh, hopefully next episode you see me just beaming because <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I can't think this wait. is going to be – I am thinking this is going to be something really special. So I think so too. I think so too. And I think we might even have a special guest in the coming weeks to come on and talk some Batman. So uh, more on that as, uh, as I get it all sort of finalized. Ooh, I don't even but, know about uh, that. That's exciting. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, all right, everyone, thank you for being here with us today for episode 138 of the Fanboy Podcast. Please subscribe, like, review the show, tell your friends about it. And uh, until next week, life is chaos. Be kind. Adios.